morning, church. I'm Kimo Moore. I'll be reading to you from 1 John 2, 1 and 2. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Amen. Thanks, Kimo, for doing our reading. And thanks, Patrick and Amber, for singing that song. Beautiful. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we begin what God has for us today? Heavenly Father, we seek you now. You would lead us in this time. That your spirit would lead us in truth. That you'd reveal things to us. Lord, that you'd move upon our hearts. You'd stoke the fire of our heart to love you more deeply to want to live for you, that you would will and work within us, God, to seek you more. And Lord, as we gather today, we, uh, we just remember those who are not with us and ask that you'd bless them. Um, continue to bless Pastor Perry as he travels. We ask that you'd bring him back safe and sound. Bless Pastor Pete and his family and all the youth and his leaders, his volunteers, I pray that as they are with each other, um, that they would learn more about you, God, that you'd move mightily as you, uh, Lord, you tend to do that when we get away from our normal life situations and get away from phones and technology. Um, I pray that you'd do that for our youth, that they would have a deeper understanding of who you are and how much you love them. Lord, I am reminded that many families have husbands and wives that are on deployment. And God, I ask that you'd bless these families as they spend time apart. Strengthen them, Lord. I know the distance makes it tough, but God, I ask that you'd be their strength. And Lord, we remember our college students as well who are on the mainland. And they're studying, Lord, and they're um, away from home. And I ask, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them. Lord, that they would want to pursue you, that they would find good, godly community, and that you'd bless them, Lord. Lord, bless each one here. May the meditations of our heart even be pleasing in your sight this morning, O God. Teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I had no idea um, becoming a dad would involve making up so many rules in life. Sean, you can put up the first slide and then I'll take it from there for a little bit. One of the first rules that I had to institute in my house was no throwing hot wheels 
I would have thought my, my children just would have known this, but when Jack, our firstborn, was about three years old and he could toddle around the house, he would grab his cars and for no reason at all, he would just chuck them. Now, if we had carpet, it wouldn't be too bad, but Taylor and I had our first house and we decided to put walnut wood floors in. And so each time one of these metal cars hit the ground, a piece of me would die. <laughs> and I'd see, the, I'd see these little dents in the floor um, from the Hot Wheels car. So rule number one, one of the first rules I made up, no throwing Hot Wheels, that's a rule. Another rule, thanks to my second-born Finn, that we had to instill was no playing basketball with toilet bowls. I never thought I'd have to like, instill a rule like this in my house, but as you can see, I absolutely did. Now, another rule that uh, my kids know very well, because I repeat it often in our house, is no playing with doors and drawers. And as you can see in the picture, I, I asked Sonny to stage this. It's because fingers will, nine out of ten times, will get crushed in the process of kids pushing on doors and trying to keep each other out of rooms or slamming drawers and stuff. Or if that doesn't happen, then either the lock breaks or the door breaks or the, the drawer breaks. And the people at Hardware Hawaii are getting to know me very well because I fix a lot of things in our house now because of this. So rule, no doors, no drawers. Don't play with those. Some of you dads are getting anxious right now by looking at this picture of Finn with both doors open to the refrigerator and the freezer, and he just stands there contemplating. <laughs> and I'm like, son, <laughs> what do you need? What do you want? Please let me get it for you. Please don't try to air condition the entire house by opening our freezer door and our fridge. And sometimes they'll say, but it feels good. I'm like, I don't care. It's humid in Hawaii. Close the doors to the fridge and the freezer. That's another rule in our house. Yeah, this one is ridiculous. I did not think I would have to tell my children, you don't hang things on ceiling fans. One of the things that I don't like fixing are ceiling fans. I don't like it because you deal with electricity and electricity is scary. I'd way rather deal with plumbing or like doors and drawers. But ceiling fans are not fun. I've fixed a couple in our house now and I'm over it. So a rule now is we do not hang things from ceiling fans in our house. Didn't think that this would become a rule either. We do not climb the garden hose that is hanging on the hose mount to the side of the house. We don't swing in it, we don't climb it, we don't stand on top of it, and the reason is, I came home recently, and the garden hose was on the ground, the hose mount was also on the ground, there were two gaping holes in the side of my house, and one missing screw. Now we have another rule, we do not climb this. <laughs> Another rule we've had to instill is no graffiti on the side of the house. Uh, I think this was sunny once again. Uh, and a sub-rule of this rule <clears throat> now is no Sharpies. 
uh-uh, no Sharpies. No Sharpies. You can have like markers that wash off. You don't need a Sharpie. If you need a Sharpie, you need to ask mom and dad. We need to know what you're doing and it needs to be approved. So those are some rules that we've instilled in our house that becoming dad, I had no idea that I'd have to instill these rules. But these rules help my children and I enjoy fellowship together. Without these rules, I might lose my mind or my temper, and my children and I are going to have a very rough relationship. In the Old Testament, we learn that the Lord, Yahweh, instituted rules for his people, and he instituted these, these commandments so that they could enjoy fellowship together. And if any of you have, are well-versed with the Old Testament, you know that this did not go so well. They disobeyed the Lord. And this morning, our verse um, in 1 John, and will be our focus today, that our very advocate, the one who advocates for us before the Father, Jesus, he himself is the propitiation of our sins. And I want to spend a little time just defining this word because I believe an understanding of propitiation will naturally lead us to praise God. Now, some definitions in the Bible will say um, he is the expiation he is the sacrifice, or he is the atoning sacrifice, or he is the payment. And they all kind of have to do with this word expiation. And in your, in your notes, you'll see there's a couple definitions. The first one is expiation. And I want to define it for you. You can write it in right there. The definition to expiation is the action of making amends. Expiation is the action of making amends. It's a great word. It means the covering of sin or the putting away of sin or the rubbing out of sin. It's a great word. Expiation is a great word. It is making amends with God. But propitiation is that plus. It's expiation plus the quenching of God's wrath. The quenching of God's wrath. So propitiation is the same, it, it means the same thing as expiation, but it, but it actually expounds on the definition. It means to make amends with God by satisfying the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ did that for us as I explained to our kids this morning. Point number one in your notes Three things, three points about propitiation and why I think it'll enrich our theology. Propitiation reveals God as provider. Propitiation reveals God as provider. In paganism, the heathen worshipers, they dealt with gods who were fickle and moody and unpredictable. They were never really certain what actions would please their gods. So you would, you'll find them in the Old Testament doing things like jumping, shouting, cutting themselves, dancing around, shouting even louder, even offering human sacrifices. 
trying anything to appease their gods and win favor with their gods. But Yahweh was different. The Israelites were absolutely sure of what would arouse God's anger, and that was sin. Anything we think, say, or do that goes against God's command. He wasn't a wild card. They knew about this. We see it really spelled out in Exodus 32. It's the golden calf incident. Moses and Joshua go up the mountain to go get the Ten Commandments from the Lord. They're taking a long time. The people are like, hey, we don't know what happened to this Moses fellow. So they go to Aaron and they're like, Aaron, we need a God. And Aaron's like, well, maybe bring me some golden rings and we'll see what happens. So they come, they bring him a bunch of golden rings, he puts it in a pot. He tells Moses later, out came this calf, but it's very, uh, Scripture's clear, he sculpted a calf, he presented it to them, he gave the credit of the Exodus to the golden calf and says, Israel, here is your God, the one who brought you out of Israel and all the people worshipped it. They had a party, they started to play Things got out of control really bad. And we see, like, just right there in in Exodus 32, they break the very first two commandments. Right off the bat, God said specifically, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourselves an idol, nor should you worship them. And they completely disobeyed his very clear commandments. And here's the thing, we do too. We do it too. I think it's so interesting that it's easy to read that story and be like, what a bunch of nincompoops. What were they thinking? But yet Jesus says, do not worry. Anybody in here ever worry? I know I have. In this book, 1 John, he'll say, love one another. Have any of us ever been unloving to someone else? Absolutely. And so they broke his commandments and so do we. But the thing about God provider is propitiation is the work of God himself. Our God propitiates his own wrath by his own action. He provides the sacrifice. Why? It's because we don't earn forgiveness. We don't earn his love by our merit. And if we could, then our pride would swell up. We are loved and we are saved by his grace, not by our works, not by our merit. It is not man who takes initiative to appease Yahweh. God provided it for himself. And if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, we get this beautiful story. It's actually a little frightening at first. Genesis 22. This is the offering of the long-awaited son, Isaac, to Abraham. In Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your one and only son, whom you love, Isaac, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I'm going to tell you. That's frightening. 
God testing Abraham and his long-awaited son. He's like, go to, the, go to where I'm going to show you and offer him there. Jump down to verse 7. Even Isaac was suspicious. He says to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. <clears throat> and he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them went on together to the place where God had told them. Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood, and bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and he looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And I hope we can see the sheer grace that is involved of God providing. We don't gather and we're not up here like sacrificing our children God just loves us. He provided for us. That is sheer grace. When I married Taylor, my wife, <clears throat> I entered into a relationship with her, and she was like, hey, we're going to go visit my uncle in Dallas. I'm like, sweet, never been to Dallas. Let's go to Dallas. Turns out, Uncle George, who, you know, I didn't know him before I knew my wife, <clears throat> works for the Dallas Mavericks. I'm like, that's pretty cool. And she goes, no, he's like, he's up there with the Dallas Mavericks. I'm like, oh, cool. So we get to Dallas, and the first night, George and Ann and their kids, they take us out, and we're like, hey, we're going to a sidekicks game. It's an indoor soccer game. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I've never been to an indoor soccer game. I was like, and it was awesome. We had a great night. The next night, we're going to a Dallas Mavericks game, box seating, all you can eat, full spread, and you're in this cool, like, box where you can see the entire court. You can see all the players. I'm like, this is really cool. It's like, wait till tomorrow night. The next night, we went to this huge arena, and we saw U2 live with no doubt opening, and I was like, wow, what an amazing concert. Side note, if you ever go to a U2 concert, you will see that people were made to worship. It is the weirdest thing because people are raising their hands like a worship service, but they're praising these old guys on the stage who wrote some really cool songs. We're made to worship. I'm just saying, if you go to a YouTube concert, you will notice that. Okay, side note done. Back to the sermon. Sheer grace. Like I, I, All I did was enter into a relationship with Taylor, and I said yes to going to Dallas, and I got to experience all these amazing things. God provides Jesus 
And when we step into relationship with him, we just, we just reap all these benefits that we did not earn, but he just provides in his son, Jesus Christ, that is such grace. And so an application point of point number one could be for us. Because <clears throat> I know for me, I used to pray par- prayers like, Dear Lord, uh, be with me today. Help me have a good day. In Jesus' name, amen. I would just rattle off a prayer like, God, give me a good day. But theology enriches our vocabulary. And maybe, maybe the next time we pray to God, we can say, God, thank you for Jesus, my shield, who took the wrath of God, the propitiation of my sins. And all of a sudden, your prayers just get a little more beautiful and elaborate. Praise the Father, provider. Praise the Son, Lamb of God, risen one, our advocate. Praise the Spirit, our helper, our counselor, the one who guides us in truth. All right, point number two. Propitiation is only possible by Christ's blood. Propitiation is only possible by Christ's blood. I'm turning to Leviticus 17, verse 11. Leviticus 17, 11. And this, I'm turning here because the, re, the requirement for atonement was instituted by the Lord himself. The Lord was the one who said, okay, if you want right relationship with me and you sin, here is what's required. Here is what it's going to take. Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement, right relationship, for your souls. For it is the blood by ransom of the life that makes atonement. The life must die, blood must be shed in order for atonement to take place. And I know that there's sometimes people will make jokes about how boring Leviticus is. But if you do diligence and read through that book, you will have a greater appreciation for Jesus Christ. Because in this book of Leviticus, God had prescribed different offerings for different categories of offenders. Whether it was a priest whether it was the whole assembly, whether it was just a common man, he had a prescription for each offender. Not only that, he also prescribed different sacrifices for different categories of sin. There was unintentional sin called a sin offering, and there was intentional sin called a guilt offering. And all these offerings would have to take place in order to provide atonement and restore fellowship with Yahweh. In each case, the innocent animal took the place of the guilty sinner as a substitute. Death and blood were required. In addition to all that, there was an annual sacrifice called the Day of Atonement. Every year, the priest would 
before he made atonement for all the people, he would have to slaughter a bull just to get himself right with the Lord. Then from there, he would get two goats and a ram. And the first goat was killed like the, like the sin offering. It was slaughtered in order to make atonement with God, have restore fellowship with God. The second goat, the priest would lay both hands on the head of the goat and he would pronounce all the sins. He would confess all the sins of the entire nation onto the goat. Then that live goat was sent off into the wilderness to carry the sins far away from the assembly, symbolizing these two goats would symbolize a dual illustration, which was the restoration of fellowship, the one sacrificed, and then the complete removal of sin, the scapegoat. That is until the following year. As a dad with rules in my house, one of the reasons I have rules is because it minimalizes all the things that I need to fix. So it's a little bit selfish on my part. I admit that. I'm okay with that. And when I fix something, I like to fix it. If a table is wonky, I don't want to fold a piece of paper and put it under the leg. I want to fix it. Fix it. One of the problems that we have had in our family for a long time now has to do with our pet chickens. My children love their pet chickens. We've had about maybe maybe about four spans of chickens now, because, you know, their lives aren't as long as ours. Um, so we're on our fourth batch of baby chicks, who are now like teenage chicks. They can fly, they can jump, and they can do all these things. But the, I, I'd always have a coop where they could go roost at night, and then I'd have a chicken run where they could run, <laughs> where the chickens could run and, you know, dig and scratch and look for bugs and all that. And so I've always had that. What I have failed to do, and I tried to start a rule with my kids, hey, when you feed the chickens, don't give them a lot of food, please. Or when you feed the chickens, make sure it goes in their dish and not all over the place. My kids have not followed this rule very well. Hence, we have begun to feed the entire Kailua flock of birds from all around. Not only that, when I walk outside, sometimes on my neighbor's house, I'll see pigeons. They're all lined up and they're waiting for that free meal. Drives me nuts. Because here we are, we're buying chicken feed from Waimanalo Feed, and we're putting out for our chickens, and our chickens look peck at it, and then they wander away, and all the birds just flock. So, not really a good fix. I got a BB gun. Not a good fix. So here's what I did. I constructed a bird. It's a house. It has a netted roof. It has walls. It's got a screen door that you walk in now. And now it it is fixed. That problem is fixed. One of my favorite things to do when I make my coffee is look out the window and I see the pigeons outside of the chicken run and they're like, They're just pacing. They want in so bad. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, you are barred. No more free meals for you guys. When I fix something, I like to fix it permanently if possible. And I think I get that from my heavenly father as well. The temporary sacrifices 
They were temporary. That was an old covenant. Jesus came with a new covenant in his blood. Hebrews says that he died once and for all sin for all of time. Done. And that's why when we come here, we're wearing nice clothes. There's no blood being splattered up here. We are just remembering Jesus Christ and giving thanks to him. Let's look at Romans 5. Three verses, 8, 9, and 10. Beautiful verses. Romans 5, 8, 9, and 10. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him through Christ. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Praise the Lord. And so an application point for this second point that we look at I think this makes communion bittersweet. I think as we approach the the communion table, whether we do that here on the first Sunday of the month or whether we do that in our homes, because we're told to do it often, we remember his body that was given for us. And his blood shed, his blood and the new covenant shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. And in that, God's wrath was satisfied by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Like I demonstrated with the kids, like a shield, he shielded us from that wrath. He took it on himself. And it just, it makes you realize as you think about this too, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, like Jesus predicted his death. He knew, he predicted it multiple times to his followers The Son of Man is going to be killed, and on the third day, he's going to rise again. But all of a sudden, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he's sweating drops of blood. Is he anxious about the cross? I don't think so. I think he was anxious about the sins of the entire world being put upon him, and the wrath of God being focused and directed at Jesus Christ the righteous. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's it's grace that he did that. He obeyed the Father's plan. It's amazing. It just makes, makes communion so sweet. Point number three. Propitiation proves God's righteousness. Propitiation Proves God's righteousness. We are told that the writer of Psalm 89.14 writes in um, Psalm 89.14, that's in your notes, so you can reference it later if you want. It just says, righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. The foundation of his throne. We know that the first time God dealt publicly with human sin was the flood. And God 
God has proved just in his action because Genesis 6-5 said, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Genesis 6-5. So God acted justly, sent the flood. We still see his grace, but Noah found favor. God provided a plan, an ark. He got in it with his family. He was safe from the wrath of God. And what we see with the cross, same thing. He provides a way out. This time the ark is Jesus Christ. His justice executed on Christ, but his grace on us. And this gospel, that means good news, this good news is available to all. Even to the world, as our verse said earlier. Not just for us, but to the world. And it just, as we read the Bible, it proves that God's anger, it's not sinful, it's not unpredictable, it's not resentful, it's not malicious. It is a righteous, holy anger. His wrath is the right reaction of the morally perfect creator towards his rebellious and perverse creatures. Pastor Tom preached last week a, a beautiful psalm, the psalm of uh, repentance of David's, David, Psalm 51. And in verse 4, David even wrote, he said, Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that, God, you are justified when you speak, and God, you are blameless when you judge. He is a just God. And should God have just allowed sinners to go on sinning unpunished, he would fail to be a just God. He would fail to be righteous. He would fail to be perfect. When I come home from work and one of the kids has something to tell me and they're scared to tell me, Dad, I broke your surfboard. What? Okay, I need more information, right? Because if I just get angry, I don't know what I'm getting angry about. Turns out, I opened it up to dry out the surfboard, and I turned it over, concave up, and my little daughter was trying to reach something. She stepped on it, and, and it, it cracked. It broke. Okay. That's not her fault. I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to go to chemo's, actually, and he's going to fix it for me. Thank you very much. But if my child blatantly disobeys my orders, and, and I tell them, hey, I don't want you over here, Daddy's working on stuff. I have tools and stuff set out. Please do not go over there. Do you hear me? Yes, Daddy. Okay. And I go away, and they get into that, and they do something and break something. Now I have a reason to punish my children. One of the greatest things I learned, and I'm so glad I learned this before I had children, uh, from my previous pastor when I was a youth pastor in Huntington Beach for a couple years. He told this story. He was talking about discipline. He tells this story of he comes home and his son Luke is waiting to confess to his dad. He's crying. He broke a window. And his dad gets all the information and says, okay, son, you're going to get a punishment. He's like, oh, he's crying. And he goes, do you know why you're getting this punishment? Because I broke the window. And he goes, no, it is not because you broke the window. It's because you disobeyed my rule that you do not hit baseballs in the backyard. That's why you're getting the punishment. And that makes so much sense to me. And so I've instilled that with my kids. They know when they're getting punished and, 
And it's not because of an accident. It's not because of breaking something. It's because they disobeyed mom and dad's rule. And I still remain a good dad. And so this word shows us that we can praise the Lord because he is who he says he is. He is just and he is merciful at the same time. And he doesn't have to put his justice on hold just to engage in his mercy. No, he can be fully just and fully merciful at the same time by providing Jesus Christ, the wrath of God on Jesus, grace bestowed upon us. He doesn't suspend one attribute to activate another. That's not our God. He is fully just all the time. He is fully gracious all the time. And that is revealed in Scripture, and I believe in this word that we've been looking at this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Praise you, Lord. God, thank you. Thank you for your character, Lord, that you are who you say you are. We praise you, Lord, that you are fully just, that you require punishment for sin. You're not a pushover. You don't just sweep it under the, under the rug because you don't want to deal with sin. Lord, you deal with it. And Lord, we recognize that you have dealt with sin in a very gracious way. Jehovah Jireh, you provided the sacrifice. You provided Jesus the one who advocates before us our very propitiation, God. Jesus, his death and his, his blood spilled out, not only granted us forgiveness of sins and restored right relationship with you, but God, it shielded us from your wrath. And we recognize that this morning and we say thank you. There's no one like you. So Lord, we worship you, we sing to you, and we just want to say thank you. So may the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you, and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Jesus Christ on earth. Have a wonderful Sunday. We love you. We'll see you soon.